Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Welcome to Saltivation, where we are joined by Joni Johnson Powell, who is currently with Ducharme McMillan and Associates. As Vice President of DMA's Tax Technology Consulting Division, Joni leads a group of 30-plus tax technology consultants responsible for delivery of indirect tax engine implementation and consulting services. She also oversees the tax process optimization practice. Joni, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here today. And of course, we have Saltivation's resident tax leader, Judy Vorndren, here today. Hello, Judy. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Joni, you are an incredibly accomplished woman in tax, multi-degree lawyer, CPA, IT specialist. From our perspective, that means you understand the laws and infrastructure that could or should be in place to comply. How has this educational background influenced your career choices and specialties? Well, I'll be honest, I I would have never thought when I graduated from law school that I'd be involved in technology. I just, I just would have never imagined. Um, And it was really just kind of a stroke of who I, who I I worked for. Um, But I I have to say that my legal background, you know, from the day I walked out of CU Law School, um, I've really utilized all of the education uh, that I've completed. So, you know, Part of my everyday work is really understanding the laws, the rules, how they apply. And also, you know, law school taught me something that a degree in accounting didn't is to kind of think outside of the box. Um, it, it took me a little bit in, in school to really learn that. At first, you know, when you're an accountant, it's A plus B equals C. Uh, when you're a lawyer, <laughs> it's like A plus B equals C, D, E, F, G, you know, and so... Well, you know, but I don't. So, I also don't care why A B or one yeah. plus two equals three. I just know that one plus two equals three, and a spreadsheet can help me facilitate that. Yeah, yeah. So I really think the law school education really has helped me be a great consultant because we always have to think critically. We always have to think outside of the box, and it really helps me in my everyday job to be creative. I know we're both alma maters from the same law school, even though we yes. didn't know each other then, I know. which is kind of funny, isn't it? Really like that funny. we have the same, you know, roots in law. Yeah, um, and I have a finance undergrad, but it's still numbers. I remember just being a wreck about writing memos. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot write. And now I write for a living off and on, right? Spreadsheets and writing. Yeah. But then the pivot to IT. So that's another adjunct that is kind of an interesting choice. Like a lot of lawyers that go into tax, do the advocacy, the research, the writing, maybe because of your abilities, you could do the spreadsheets and the plan, but then you also have pivoted to say technology can help us be successful in applying the law to the numbers. Yeah. How does that work? Well, it's very interesting because um, I really started my career on the technology side at KPMG and my boss was also a lawyer. <laughs> and he was at, um, I think at the time it was Quest. You know, it's, there's been an evolution. But he was at Quest. And he got involved somehow in his career there with dealing with the tax side, but also systems. And so when I was a senior consultant at KPMG, he came in my office like, hey, we just landed this big project with SBC, who's AT&T now. And he's like, so I'm going to give you a 101 on 
technology and systems and tax. And I'm like, okay. And he started drawing all these tables and things on the, on the whiteboard. And then I got thrown out into a project, had no idea anything about technology. I knew the tax piece, um, but got thrown out on a project. And that's really how I really started my career in technology. And I really liked it because again, it's like a puzzle, you know, where's your data come from? You know, what does it need to look like? How do we get from A to B at the end of the day, we want to get the right taxes calculated so we can remit it on return. So it was kind of, again, it was very creative. And um, I really enjoyed the fact that it was a, kind of a puzzle. You really had to think um, outside the box and every client is different in how their systems work, what their tax policies are. Yeah. Um, every software is different in terms of how they interpret the law. So how do you deal with that? So it's, it's really unexpectedly been a great area for me to develop in. And it really is supported by kind of my background and my education. Well, it's kind of interesting too. Like, I don't know about you, if you remember your score on the LSAT, but I aced the section on logical games. I did not miss one. And I remember learning when I did my bar review course or whatever it was, LSAT prep course, maybe it was. And they talked about how people think, and some people are really good at like a Rubik's cube, which is like spatial and visual. And then other people are, you know, all the cryptograms. If you think about the different games people play and how they work, like shooting games and, 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 Game, games of chance, right? And the logical games is what the LSAT, you know, tests for. And I think there is logic in law, tries to be, right? There's logic in numbers, there's logic in business. And then you put all that together to get to a solution within the constraints or confines or not even all those boundaries, thinking outside the boundaries to come up with a, net, a good solution to meet everybody's needs in the business to get the right tax on the forms. Right. So you must have that kind of mind because first of all, I would say to you, why would you bother being a CPA going to law school? There's a perfectly good career path as a CPA. Well, to be honest, um, the only reason I majored in accounting, I wanted to be a lawyer from the time I was in high school. And okay. so my dad came to me and he was a CPA and he's like, so what are you going to major in? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, if you major in accounting, you know, it really can open the doors for you. Even though you want to be a lawyer, you'll have a business background. And of course I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, I hadn't really thought about it because remember back in the day when you did law school, you majored in political science. Oh yeah. English, poli sci. I mean, oh yeah. People can write history. I mean, there were two people in my class that had business undergrads and one of my uh, classmates, he w- went on to be um, securities exchange commission. He worked there. So we worked in the financial industry. So he, as a business undergrad, but that was it two yeah. out of 165 kids. We were all bit, you know, non-business degrees. I don't know about your yeah. class, but that was my class. There was two of us that had yeah, an undergrad there in business. There weren't very many at all. I, I think, and CU was, was interesting because it was kind of diverse. A lot of people in my class were like in the environmental and yes. you know, a lot of people went up there for that reason. Yep. So there were just a few of us that were, that were, like you said, um, having a, a business background. And I remember there was one professor, Mr. Geyser. I can't remember. Wayne you Gosser. Wayne Gosser. Yes. Yes. And he was like, he worked in big stores. Yeah. He totally got it. And I was yep. like, he was my hero. Cause I was yes. like, ah, oh, you know, he gets it. And that's why I started off in the big four. Cause probably because of him. Me no too. Honesty. And I Me loved too. him. Me too. He, yeah. 
he was the best ever. Yeah, no, he was at he was at Arthur Anderson. Then he went to Davis Graham and Stubbs. He was top of his class. I because I got my L well LLM or MSBA, what CU gave, which was a business extra degree in in tax business. But I did the joint program, and um, and he, you know, I took all those classes with him, and he was amazing. He really helped. I would never even gone to Big Four, Big Eight, whatever it was at the time. If he hadn't said, I would have gone to a law firm. But he's like, don't do it, don't do it. Go here, and here I am still in public accounting. Because the law firms don't do the same things we do. You know, they don't think the same way we do. And yeah, interesting. Yeah. He was, he was the reason yes. why I went that route. I, I swear he was because he came in the class and he he talked about, he talked, he was more of a consultant, right? He, he gave a lot of, you know, insight into the whys and less on the, the kind of law side, but really kind of planning how to plan for your clients and and things like that. So and I, loved, I was like I top of him. his class in a lot of those classes. Like yeah. however he taught, I did very well in his classes, which was yeah. affirming, right? I've made the right path. But how yeah. funny that he had such an influence on you like you did. He I love did. that man. <laughs> I, I love that man too. I was like, I, I would think so. Cause you're like, re, you know, repeating his yeah. resume. He I'm became just like... kind of a personal <laughs> friend though. In a, in a, you know, as, as yeah. a professor, he, he's just, he, I really, he's a pivot. He pivoted me into the big four. Yeah. I, when I got the job with EY, he's the first person I emailed. Yeah. I was like, guess what? I got a job with EY. And I was like, I'm going to be just like you. <laughs> did you t- did you take anything with Betty Jackson? She was another one for me, Professor Jackson. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, because she was at the business school. So if you didn't, yeah, but she no, was I another did, I did tremendous resource of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing, just gave me that thought process when I was mm-hmm. getting the master's. So anyway, how funny. funny. <laughs> you know, when you were talking about like how you got into technology, so was that was that initial project, were they building just like a homegrown integration or, no, or like a they, collection thing or like what were yeah, what were they, they doing yeah so, so the project was to automate using software so back in the day what happened with these companies is they built the logic themselves yes because there is no software out there so right the project was for tax and it was communications tax telecom tax yes um, because it was so complicated there's so many tax types so they were one of the first companies way back then, I'm aging myself, but way back then to actually utilize software instead of maintaining it internally. Uh, and so it was implementing a Vertex software, actually. Very interesting back then. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's an interesting thing as you look at rip and replace, and that's an issue for sure about picking the right software product. Historically, mm-hmm. because there wasn't that functionality, right? People built it. Yeah, I they mean, built it. Mm-hmm. So then you're like, you're going to throw away all those hours of creation of, of templates and whatever they did to make sure the automation worked. You know, it was a tough even haul then to go to automated software, right? To, to go to a SaaS or whatever. And of course, even Vertex in the day wasn't SaaS. It was on-prem, downloaded, integrated in GL. I mean, that's I got started in that same space. And then we pivoted to the SaaS environment. But even that has its issues about how the APIs integrate with one another and so forth. But you're right. And then you find a lot of the older companies, not older, but companies have been around a long time, had to build their native functionality within their own construct. They didn't, can't, they're not going to pivot to an outsourced solution. Now right. you're finding that change, right? They're like, all right, right, we've gotten our benefit out of it, but maybe it's not the best. So let's go ahead and change to someone mm-hmm. who's going to keep this up to date. And that's kind of, I assume, where you're playing now. Even yeah. changing what was built 
20 years ago, 10 years ago to something that's more of an API SaaS based uh, platform. Yeah. And and we're seeing a lot of clients, I would say even three or four years ago, they were not going to go to the cloud. They're like, no way we're going to go to the cloud. Now everyone is going to the cloud and now they're even looking for, this is one thing we're seeing too, is like someone to help manage the software. So it's like, Hey, you know, there, I have the clients that are like, well, can Vertex, they're moving to the cloud because now they don't have to worry about updates and all yep. of that. So it's all managed by the software provider. And then now we're having clients asking us to manage the configurations because they right. don't have the staff or the budget to do it themselves. Well, and they can't do it. I mean, the truth is, as you're well aware, this is not something that somebody can do part-time. Right. And yet it is a part-time job in in a business. So it is difficult for them to have an accountant, controller, CFO type, an AP clerk, AR clerk managing that functionality. They don't have the tax knowledge. So they're not going to do a good job on it. Yeah, no, interesting. And then, like you said, just making sure everything's staying connected. Even IT can't always do that. No, that's right. (laughs) Very interesting. Yeah, I find that to be an interesting issue with the software company, sort of a set it and forget it mentality where it's like, Mm -hmm. that's not true. Business is not set it and forget it. Yeah. No. And and I was going to just add to that. And what we're also seeing too is that a lot of companies are going back with that set it and forget it like hey we haven't looked at this in five ten years someone set it up a really long time ago and we all know like uh, vertex or the other you know vertex or tr their content was limited 10 years ago they focused on specific areas so you ended up customizing and making it work and now we have clients coming to us and saying hey um we haven't looked at this in five eight, nine years, right. we probably need to go back and, you know, minimize as much as we can the custom configurations and utilize something that we're paying for, yeah. which is, you know, maintained um, content that's kept up with the laws. Yes. Yes. But that's also an interesting thing. How do you find people understand the value of that? Like, that's the thing I feel people think should be easy peasy. Why does it cost money? And I'm thinking, why do you think that 50 state laws, 46, of course, but why do you think that it should be simple? Why do you think that is a culture of our society, especially in the small and medium business market? And even sometimes the large markets, right? Getting that to move. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's a, a lack of understanding. Um, especially in, in the small to medium, they think that, again, you know, once I have the software, all of my issues should be, you know, resolved. But one of the things that they, they don't always understand or already think about is that every business is evolving, right? So you offer new products, new services. Um, you go from, you know, offering a, a, a widget to something that's in the cloud or a service or uh, we have we have a client here in Colorado that has been um, focused in the medical devices field, mm-hmm. and so it's really easy. Okay, it's TPP, right? right? Well, now they're launching this new ecom platform, which is kind of where we're seeing a lot of uh, companies also spend more time in with the co- the COVID um, uh, uh, pandemic. That it's they're they're really looking at the ecom side of things. So now IT rolled out this new econ platform, and now they're offering data analytics for that. That is technology that's built into the soft the software equipment to tell you whether it's working very good, 
right? Ooh. So that's new, right? Yes. And so they're like, hey, it's not TPP anymore where we have one tax code set up in SAP. And now we're we're providing downloaded software and we're providing, you know, a lot of other services that were not part of our core offering. And so now we've got to think outside the box and now we got to rethink our whole deployment strategy because it's not just a couple of customers that we sell equipment to in, you know, five states, it could be a customer anywhere. So that's, those are the things that are having, causing um, companies large and small to kind of rethink this whole um set it and forget it, or, you know, it should be really easy. It's yep. not really easy. And then they get in trouble. I mean, the thing to, to my mind is, it, does it take enforcement to cause compliance or is there actually proactive, you know, and I think sometimes when they do have the set it and forget it, there's no proactivity. You're just setting on it. Like, oh, we've just been filing and, oh, we got in trouble here. Oops, refresh. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, well, and I want to kind of go, you know, you started, you know, you went to law school, went to big four and kind of stayed in industry. And then you decided to start your own business, right. And do this on your own. Like what, how, what kind of got you there? And you're just like, oh, screw it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to yeah. control this. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> well, it, it was, it was kind of interesting. Um, it was really more of a, a personal decision of sorts that drove me there. That was totally unexpected. I thought I was going to be a partner big four. That was my, that was going to be my mantra. I was really focused on that. And in uh, 2000, my, my dad got sick and he had his own business. He worked for the IRS for 30 years. He retired, he had his own business. So he was sick. He was like, can you help me with my audits? Right. He had some audits. He was sick. So I stepped in, you know, helped on the side while I was working. I was with KPMG at the time. Um, but really helped support his clients. And while I was doing that, I kind of just like the fact that it's very personal. You know, when I'm working uh, at KPMG, you know, I have these big multinational companies. Um, it was more, I felt like I was providing more value uh, than what I did. I was kind of a person, a number. So just helping him was really the catalyst for that. And then when he passed away, I was uh, eight months pregnant. And maternity leave is coming up and tax season was coming up. He died in December. And I had to help his clients um, get through tax season. They had no one else to go to. So, you know, with baby on my lap <laughs> um, at home on maternity leave, I was doing tax returns, just trying to make sure that I got his clients through that tax season. That was the catalyst. So get back to KPMG um, after maternity leave. And um, it was right around Enron time, Sarbanes-Oxley. So I don't know if Enron hit right before that or right after that. But that whole thing happened, completely changed the ability to provide services, yeah. technology services to audit clients. Yeah. Those were my clients. Mm. They were right there. Completely changed the environment for me at KPMG. Now yeah. I couldn't do projects for clients that were audit clients. Mm -hmm. So project came up. We used to do a lot of work with KPMG Consulting. Um, actually, that first project I started, SBC, was KPMG Consulting. I was bid on a project. We couldn't do it because they're audit client. I really, and then KPMG Consulting is like, well, can you can you do it for us? Um, some other way. 
And I'm like, I really can't. And then um, I kind of felt like I was on an island at KPMG. I lost my boss. He went somewhere else. You know how it can be. And I think the economy wasn't doing too good at that time. So he got moved out and I was kind of, I didn't have any, I didn't have a sponsor. And you know, yeah. in the public account, you have to have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. The guy I reported to is in Washington, you know, great partner, you know, good guy, but I never heard or saw him. So I right. was just kind of a lone wolf. And I just decided, I was like, Hey, I could do it on my own. And I approached KPMG consulting. I was like, my dad has a company. I, I put it into an LLC with my lawyer hat while I was doing some of those services and with a baby like, on your lap. Don't forget with a baby on my lap. <laughs> and I'm like, I can do this. You know, I was like, I can do this. So I could do it on my own. And, uh, they were like, okay. And then I went to KPMG and I was like, Hey, and they were like, we'd rather have you do it than Deloitte. So we are hundred percent behind you. Go ahead, do the, you know, set up the, set up the company or already had the company set up, but come in and go ahead and deliver this project and you'll be delivering it with, uh, you know, our partner KPMG consulting. Cause I think they had spun off at that time from KPMG. So that's, that's literally how I got started. That is so funny. Cause that's the same with me because I was in state and local and we, had, I was part of the outsourcing practice and we got Sarbanes-Oxlead and it became this whole audit was first and I have vowed I will never work for a firm if too much if I can help it that has an audit practice because I never want to be hindered from helping my clients because of independence. And it just shut us down. I mean, it was inhibiting our ability to serve well uh, because of our audit brethren being the predominant driver of business at the big four. So not gonna work somewhere where I'm not as important as they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was just it was just kind of a perfect storm and I just jumped out and did it. I'm, I don't know that I would still do that now. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I was just super motivated, but I also knew it's just me, right? So as a consultant, it's just me. I don't have overhead. I don't have anything. Essentially, you know, I just, that was really how I started my business with one project. And then you've done a couple other things though, because you went back in house. You actually led the practice at Grant Thornton, so you pivoted into a couple different things, and then gone back on your own, you know. And then you've ultimately enjoyed uh, joined DMA just a couple years ago. So you have been all over in terms of like where I'm going to be to make my living, and I'm going to assume that has something to do with your family, oh, yourself, yeah, the dynamics of business, you know, where your yeah. children are at. Yeah, so. it does. It really, really does. Um, when I, you know, when I left KPMG, uh, you know, it it was really kind of a career decision, and I felt like I didn't have a lot of support, right? So I did that for a few years, uh, five to be exact. Was it five? Yeah, I did that for five years, and I I was super ambitious. I was thirty years old. I was like, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to have a law firm. I'm going to have a CPA firm. I'm going to hire all these people. Um, but one of the things I did realize, by the way, and I always also said, I'm going to have Wednesdays off. I'm going to have Wednesdays off. <laughs> you know, it's really funny. I picked Wednesday too. Cause I was like, can't I just work? Cause I was also at KPMG and I was like younger. I was like, I don't, at that point I didn't have kids. And I was like, well, I would much rather work on the weekends. No one's bothering me. And like, I'll run my errands on Wednesdays. Wednesday yeah. will be my Saturday because it's midweek. No one takes Wednesdays off, right? I picked Wednesday too. And then uh, my, um, you know, 
someone I worked with was like, um, you realize we're in like client service and that doesn't really work that way because your clients work on Wednesday. And so yeah, you need right. to be available every Wednesday for your clients. I was like, well, ugh, that doesn't yeah, work that way. Exactly. Fine. That, that was exactly it. So now and I'll so work I, Wednesday and Saturday. Yeah. So I, I thought that Wednesdays was going to be great. I'd take Wednesdays off. At that point I had two children and, um, what I found was that I worked seven days a week. I took the kids to the office every weekend. Um, I did not have Wednesdays off. Um, I hired a lot of, you know, I, ha I had at one point, I had like six people working for me the first time. Um, but what I did realize is that law school and undergrad didn't teach you how to motivate people, didn't teach you about HR, didn't teach you a lot of the intricacies around running a business. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I had a law firm at a, at one point in time and a CPA firm so I was doing some legal services. Uh, this, this gal I hired uh, didn't show up for the first day of work. And I'm like, okay, well, sorry. Then she's going to sue me. And I'm like, what the, how could that be? You know, it was just a lot of things that you don't know. You know, you're, you're starry eyed, you're, you're ambitious, you want to go out, but you don't realize all the sacrifices that you really have to make as a business owner. Um, you don't realize that just because you're really passionate about your clients and service that everybody else is going to be passionate about service and clients, that everybody's going to serve your client the same way that you did. There are just things I had to learn. Um, I think one of the most important things I learned was that, um, and Judy, you may be able to, to relate to this, but just because, um, you know, I have the ability to, uh, think at a different level, right? Operate at a high level all the time, you know, and I'm thinking and generating ideas. That doesn't mean that everybody functions that way. Um, it also doesn't mean that your way is the only way. Uh, it was just really a learning experience for me as a young 30-year-old person running a business that not everybody, your staff, other people that you work with, um, not everyone has the same experience. Nobody, not, not everybody has the same capabilities, but that doesn't mean that they don't have value yeah. um, to your business. And when I was young, I'm like, why can't you do this? Why does it take you so long? You know, why haven't you responded to the client? And, and I probably didn't, uh, at that time, I don't think I was as sensitive and understanding. I'm just, I was just very driven and expected everybody to operate exactly like I did. Yeah. Um, and I lost people, lost, you know, good people that I used, you know, used to work with me at KPMG. I pulled a couple people and I lost people because I wasn't easy to work with because hmm. I operated like I was and I expected everybody to operate in the same playing field and have the same expectations as I did and, and everything else. Um, I think I've grown a lot from that. Uh, I think I've learned that everyone can contribute a different value. Yeah. Even if they're not an A player and there's not, there's not always, everyone is not an A player, but you need B players. Sometimes you even need C players um, in order to be an effective and efficient business. And I think that's the biggest lesson I learned from my first company. And now you can and, take that now while you're, you're, you know, managing 30 people and then some, not to mention all the clients you're managing. Well, it's funny you said that because I use different tools. I use StrengthsFinder and I use this thing called Enneagram now. That's a new tool I've learned about. And then StrengthsFinder and Myers-Briggs. So between all of those, I try to have my people 
tell me who they are inherently and try to maximize who they are and do the work they love that they're really inherently good at. Not ask them to be, I don't need you to be a salesperson. I don't need you to be a a research and writing person. The projects are varied. We can give each person something they'll truly enjoy and be successful at that'll really enhance the client service without trying to ask everybody to be all things all the time. I'm not all things all the time, right? Right. I mean, even I may sort of, I can't deal with technology as well as Meredith or yourself, I'm certain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was definitely learning. And, and gee, that's very funny that you say that. Cause I, I have a couple, I have five or six directors that report to me and they're looking to go to the next level. And I had a guy that, uh, you know, we've kind of positioned, he's probably, you know, we're grooming him for the next level. And he had sent out, um, he had a couple of issues in the last couple of months with, you know, the way that he dealt with his staff and that there's some people that, that left because of it. And I, I shared with him, I had to change. <laughs> you have to be, you have to reflect on yourself and really think about how, what your delivery is. And he had written some kind of strongly worded emails to HR. And I'm like, Hey, you can't do that. Those are the folks that report to the CEO and you burn that bridge. You might burn your bridge that no matter how much I advocate for you to be promoted to senior director, it might not happen. So, you know, I, I, I told him I, you know, many years ago and even now, sometimes I have to reflect on my delivery, my tone. Um, who am I talking to? You know, like you said, knowing who my people are so that I can be effective leader. Um, and, you know, it really is important to kind of think about, we all learn, we all, we all evolve, we all grow, no matter how many degrees you have, we all have to kind of learn how to be a good leader. Well, uh, let's go through the barriers, dear, like yeah. as, my, as you and me both are women, you mm-hmm. are a black woman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. I think there are just some filters out there that we are not that are just there. We can't, nobody knows they're even doing them, but yes. those are, and a mother, you have four children. Yes. You're insane. I commend <laughs> you for it. And you had a fourth one within the last 10. Yeah. Which is insane with a 20 year old and a, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I remember when we, we, we connected over the years and then you yeah. just had had a baby. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe she did that. Anyway. <laughs> You got I couldn't believe three. I did that either. Right? Three girls yes. and one boy. And then a so boy. Talk and, about totally uh, different parenting issues, right? Um, yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, I, you know, I feel like we're so aligned in so many ways because of our women, our, our, obviously our educational experience is so similar. We befriended one another. I think we found a lot of common ground, but we all have these challenges of like being moms, being business owners, being leaders. How do you feel that that has impacted you? And has that been partly an issue for you going on your own to say, I'm going to control the narrative. I mean, I know you told me one time, one of the partners said to you, something about your kids and that you weren't supposed to be the pickup or that was the nanny's yeah, responsibility. Yeah, like, that's exactly it. I'm the and, mother. And, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was part of the reason I, I ended up leaving. I was, I was in line to be partner, probably would have been a year, but I was struggling and, and I, and, and I feel like I had a good relationship with the partner I reported to, you know, we talked a lot, his officers right next to mine, but he did 
say a lot of insensitive things to me um, over that two-year period that really encouraged me to start my own business again. And um, I had gone to him and said, hey, you know, uh, and it's been a couple of times. The first time I went to him and I said, hey, um, you know, I really could use some help on my team, right? Because it was like me as a director and then I had like a senior. And I was like, I really need someone to help me manage the day-to-day. You know, I'm selling all the projects, I'm delivering, I'm reviewing. I have to do all the billing. I have to do all the administrative stuff. I really could use a team member. And so his response was, well, you know, if you're having, you know, some issues just balancing everything, maybe you could talk to my wife. And I was like, his wife's a stay-at-home mom. And I'm like, what does she know? Because I was like, I'm here till, I was, I think that particular year, I was like, I don't think that I had dinner with my kids more. I could count how many times on my, my hand I had dinner with my kids because I was at the office till six and it was the commute and I get home. And, and at that time, um, my ex-husband, he was very domestic, which is great. So he did all the cooking. He did the laundry. He did all the man stuff. Right. But that didn't mean I didn't have guilt as a mother that I wasn't spending quality time with my kids. So that was the first year. And so I was like, okay, so, okay. But I was like, uh, he's like, do you want to talk to my wife? And I'm like, uh, I don't think so. But I, you know, I'll connect with some other folks. And, and the other thing that I think I was disappointed about when I returned to public accounting was that there was still only like 18% women that were directors. And I'm like, I've been gone for a really long time. I can't believe this is still nothing has changed. No, it's very disheartening, honestly. I remember starting in college and thinking we are 50-50. And now as I look at my career, the leaders are not 50-50. And there aren't people like us. So we have to connect with one another to support each other because we're going through similar things as business owners, as women, as mothers, as wives, as friends, and, you know, and still want to be awesome at what we do. And that filter is just not the same. I don't think my husband, a lawyer walks in, becomes a partner. They don't look at his book of business. They don't know what he generates compared to anybody else. They just give him the red carpet treatment. He doesn't even realize that it's just given to him. I would never have that same comparison ever. It's assumed he can do it. It's not assumed I can do it at all. And we have wildly more education, more experience, and yet we have been left to the side for so long. And it's still happening. And so as women, I think, and leaders, I think it's incumbent on us to kind of build the thing. But then I speak, to, I think about this gentleman that you're supportive of. I, what I see with my male peers is that they ask for it more. My mm-hmm. female people don't ask. They just do. Right. They, just they do. hope it works right. out, but that's right. not their goal. They want to serve. They want to deliver. That's what they are. They're care, caregivers. Yes. And the men are like, I need the promotion. I need the promotion. I've earned it. I've earned it. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. really, if I look at you compared to anybody else, I see different attributes, but all of them have value. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why you should be promoted over the other person. So well, it's interesting. Right. The advocacy that men give are just naturally inclined to yep. How much of that is the perception of, oh, look at that strong man going after what he wants versus an assertive woman is now a bitch because she needs to have this thing. That's right. Like what's I I I agree with I mean we're we're trained from the very the time we come out the womb to be, you know, submissive and quiet or you know what I mean? And the boys are 
taught to just go after it and get what you want. You know, it's just part of the nature of, of who we are. And as I look at my daughter, I have a daughter right now that's majoring in accounting and she's going to start her first internship with KPMG. Yeah. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, but you know, it, I, I want her to be, to be successful, but she's also, it's like, you know, it's the confidence thing. I, I don't know why, you know, why it's there, but with her too, I'm like, Hey, you know, you need to go apply for these internships. Well, do you think I'm really going to get it? And I'm like, well, heck yeah. You know, you, you should, but it's all, it's something about the confidence that we've got to, I don't know if as moms, we have to do a better job or, or it's the environment, right? Cause boys are so competitive, you know, they're just, groomed and matured to, to be that way um and and women were not supposed to have a voice yeah uh, you know uh and so I'm like how how can you have any doubt you're my child you're supposed to want to go out there and get it you know you know go out there but it's just I don't I can't put my finger on it uh because I you know both of my daughters are a little timid in my in my perspective, we're not it. walking to the same shoes as you for whatever reason. And that could be societal, the impact of other on self, and whether or not they feel like inherently just how they move in the world and are direct and are impacted in the world. And I'm going to assume Joni, that you didn't really think that way. You just did it. <laughs> I mean, I want it. I'm going to get it. I know I can do it and I'm going to serve. I can do it. Yeah. And you've done yeah. it. I don't know where it came from either. Um, to, to be honest, just when I look back at, like, I look back at when I left KPMG and I'm just like, could I have done that? Like today, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like that took a lot of balls. <laughs> I mean, excuse language, but yes. I, I'm not sure I would still do that today. No, after like, 14. That's crazy. 14. Like, what you were left. you thinking? <laughs> yeah, you left before I left. I spent 14 years at the big four. I was very comfortable in the safe uh, perceived environment of being there was the hardest thing I ever did was leave Deloitte after nine years. I mean, thinking I wasn't going to go up on that elevator and walk those halls and have those peers. And I felt a little bit alone. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it, but it, and honestly, it took me having my, um, my third child, which I, I have a weird life story, as you well know about my family, but I just was like, I can't spend my life on the road. I, I have this kid. I'm not even seeing her grow up. Like, this is not the way to make it work. And I value my friends, my relationships, my community. And I sort of want to spend time with my daughter. So that was the pivot for me. The personal pivot is honestly what caused, drove me to make a meaningful career change. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it's all been driven for me personally when I think about my family, my family and where they are. Um, has been part of that. So I left, uh, you know, I left GT because I felt like I didn't have enough time with my kids and I didn't have control over it. And they're like, you're going to be a partner. You're going to be a partner. And my partner was at the office till nine o'clock every day. And I'm like, I don't want it. I don't want to do that. I don't, if that's what I, what partner means, I don't want it. I, I, I need to be with my family. I need to be more with my children and I want to have control over, over it. Um, but I do think one thing that makes it difficult to have that control, even on your own, is client service. Clients, <laughs> clients dictate, you know, when you work, when you have meetings, so on and so forth. So even though my goal was to get more autonomy, did I get 
you know, did I get more balance? Not running, you know, it's hard to have balance running your own business, but I, I did, I was, I did have control to accept the projects that made sense. Um, unfortunately in tax technology, I'll just be honest, you go where the work is and it's all over the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought my kids with me, <laughs> which if I worked for a company, I wouldn't be able to do that. So it was my own company. If I had a project, I started that project out in Silicon Valley, um, as my first project for my second business. Um, and I knew it was a sacrifice, but I hired a nanny. I took my kids with me. So yeah. You know, it was so you a can sacrifice. control that. You controlled yeah. that. I'm like, well, and, and that's the fact of a middle class American. I, I think it's fact for anybody. It's what are you going to spend your money on? How are you going to make your time work? You could choose that or not choose that. How do you think that's impacted you? I feel uh, COVID, uh, the work from home environment. You know, you're a traveling road warrior, but. So that changes the shift of how you're expected to come into an office every day. Do you think that's been a benefit to us? I think as moms to have this. I, I think that COVID, I'm so funny. I was thinking about this this morning. I think it for moms and dads. I think your kid knowing that you're there and, and, you know, I make my son's lunch every day. You know, I get him to school every day, pick him up from the bus stop, come back and keep working. And I kind of could do that before. I mean, I was definitely traveling, but for those people who haven't had um, a work at home uh, opportunity, um, I think it might change our society a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 I think it could be a, a much a kind of monumental change in family. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you're also the way you're serving your projects where they maybe wanted you to be on site before. Now they're like, you know what? We can make it work and you don't have to be on site. I mean, I think that's a huge reframe. And I do believe we have this whole society of like, you need to come in and punch a clock and show up at your desk by eight or nine and stay till five. And you're like, but I don't need to be here all day. Right. And if I could leave and do my kids game or be a coach and then get back on at eight o'clock at night, who cares? As long as you're delivering and nobody needs to know what hours you delivered, as long as you deliver. And that's certainly our culture at tax ops. I assume, I don't know if DMA has that. I know you have that culture. Yeah, we definitely. Tax technology has, most of our folks um, at DMA have always been remote. Okay. There's there's always been a sense of trust. You know, there are clients, if if you travel, the client, the travel was pretty much dictated by the client. But I would say compared to when I was, um, you know, in public accounting before, we really would tout projects to encourage the client that we didn't need to be on site because it's not economical. It, it costs money. It costs time. So most of our projects we would approach, you know, we would, t- we, we put into the SOW, we will have four on sites. Okay. So, you know, if you want more than that, then we need to plan accordingly. But we actually, in our SOWs, would identify how many on sites we would have uh, to encourage, you know, and if it's going to be more, the cost is going to be a little more, right? But, you know, within this fixed fee or within this contract, you have X amount of on site. So we'll plan around like kickoff, you know, maybe a couple of other during the project and then probably at go live. And I think that was really, that's been really great in setting that expectation that you don't, we don't have to be in front of your face in your office. 24-7. Now, there are still some projects, large projects and large clients that we have folks that do travel every week, but it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah, which I think is a giant change, honestly. For I, I just think everybody's seeing that it can work. 
And I don't feel that there was a minute. I, I especially felt with a lot of my bosses historically was if I wasn't there, I wasn't working, which is the most, I can't tell you how many bosses I've have said to me, I can't work from home. I'm like, my family will tell you, I ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like, is that because you don't want to be at home because you have children like there, you've created this right? thing where you've got kids and a wife at home that you necessarily might not really like. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't really that. want to spend some time around. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you don't want to be interrupted. I mean, it and is stressful to be interrupted. Is. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, I think there's also some things that, and my husband brought this up where, you know, he and I, if you were to just look at us, you have no idea what we're doing. Mommy's mm-hmm. work and daddy's work looks exactly the same. Yeah. Sure. And that's something yep. that's really like, and our daughter is five now. And so that's something that she can see that like, oh, well, daddy works and mommy works. And I don't, I don't, daddy's a t- sort of a teacher. Mommy's an accountant. And now like I sit with mommy and I play work. Like, and I think that's something that's awesome that like our kids can see just any, you know, a man and a woman working and doing the same thing. And there's no difference. Mm-hmm. And that's something that she wouldn't have been able to see. Now she comes to the office with me on the weekends and whatnot. Cause I like having her around. She's my little buddy. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's cool that, you know, trying to look at this horrible situation of like those little bits of lights that mm-hmm. there are going to be super long-term impacts of 2020. Yeah. Right. But that like finding those little lights. Yeah. Right. Like uh, I think Reddit just announced that it's, they're going to do permanent work from home. And, and my thought today was that's great because I do think it provides some value to families, you know, um, having that ability. And so I'm excited to kind of see where, where it goes from here. Uh, but I think it is a monumental change to right how our society. Operate. It is important mm-hmm. to gather. Don't get me wrong. You do need to gather, but not every day. You need to go back and get your work done, right? And if you can do it in whatever way works, what does it matter where you are? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. What other questions, Mayor? I I think we're we're running close on time. So I really, you know, Joni, is there, this has been an awesome discussion and it's just, you know, <laughs> getting away from, you know, integrating the tax and just the humanality of what we do and who we are and just like, at the end of the day, we're people- Yes. Who give a bleep about our lives and we want to do what's best for us, for our clients and our family. So, I mean, is there anything that we feel that we need to know that we didn't talk about that, you know, your kind of last bit of advice or something, you know, a a takeaway for us all? Well, right. Because you found that quote that you liked, remember, Mayor, that we we had pointed out that you you had noticed a quote and you put it out yeah, there so, and we thought it really was really a really neat thing about you that we want to talk about. It was a Steve Maraboli and I'm sorry, Steve, if you're listening and I butchered your last name <laughs> um, that says, as I look back on my life, I realized that every time I thought I was being rejected from something good, I was actually being redirected to something better. Yeah. And, and it, that just resonates to me, you know, you know, personally too, just because you know, life is a journey and sometimes people take, um, something bad that happens in their life, um, you know, as, as a negative. And I really do feel like all of the obstacles that we go through in life build us to be a better person tomorrow. Um, you know, I personally 
you know, I, I went through cancer, you know, four years ago. Um, and it was a reality check for me because it, I was so driven, always busy, not taking care of myself, very stressed all the time, those types of things. And even though it presented a hiccup, a slowdown, it really helped me reflect on what's important in life. Yeah. And you lost all your hair, didn't you? Um, I was bald as I could be. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, no nothing. So it took away my femininity. It was it was tough. It was tough. Like you don't even think about those types of things. Like you go through chemo and then you uh, you lose all your hair. And I remember the first day, I remember that the morning that I had to shave my hair off because it was just all falling out. And I was trying to, you know, keep it. And I just told my husband, okay. You just need to shade off. And, and my daughter came in and she was stood in the bathroom. She cried because she saw me losing all of my hair. And it just hit me here. And it finally, I just had to say, okay, I have to let go of this. But this is, you know, I'm going through this so I can survive. Yeah. Um, well, you look gorgeous so we, in your wigs. I would have never known either. Yeah. <laughs> I and I got you. to wear cute wigs. Yeah, I didn't did. realize there were so you many did. cute wigs out there. I got to have different colors. <laughs> You know, all those, those kinds of things. But, you know, I, I just have to say that, um, you know, a lot of times people and and often you kind of feel, well, why am I getting the shorter in the stick? Why is this happening to me? But I think it's just part of the life cycle. You know, we, we go through all through go through ups and downs. And, you know, even, you know, through my career with Big Four and and, um, you know, being in that environment. I think it's made me a stronger person. I think it's made me be reflective and be happy with who I am. It also encouraged me to, you know, tell others what I've learned, yeah. you know, um, whether uh, I, I'm, I'm getting, a, I love DMA because I'm in an environment where I still can be an entrepreneur, but now I'm really mentoring a whole team of people that are coming up through the ranks of what I did. And I'm sharing with them what I've learned, how I've yep. grown, how I've changed, um, and having an influence on an environment. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, GMA was very man heavy. <laughs> Remember Judy, we talked about yes, that before that I decided to go there and you're like, are oh, you going to do this? Don't. But I've really been embraced there. We're just starting some women initiatives. We're just starting. And what I'm bringing you to DMA is my experience outside of DMA. Yeah. A lot of people are DMA lifers. Yeah. And I'm bringing an experience that, hey, you need to promote women more. Yes. Hey, we need to we need to be more sensitive. And I've I've been open welcome arms, but I've also shared that maybe every you know minority black woman or black person has a different experience than me. And we need to listen, you yes. know, and listen to that. So I really do feel like, you know, I do really do feel like from a spiritual perspective, we're all guided to where we're supposed to be. And there may be some hard and difficult times that you go to get there, but it makes you who you are. And those bad times really, um, you know, help you persevere. And it has some value to, you know, what you contribute, not only to your family, but to society at the end of the day. Well, and that's why we wanted you to be on the show, obviously with BLM and all this, and just knowing you for all these years, I've known you, gosh, 15 or more years and seeing you and being peers and being each other's back. And obviously at some point we had hoped that we would be partners. You never yeah. know. That, that yeah, you never know. We yet. still have time. <laughs> that's right. So, but, you know, always respecting and admiring you and 
I just am really grateful that you're in my life and that, you you know, we have this friendship. And I really thank you for taking the time to be on this show and showcase what you have to offer in the state and local community and as a person and a business leader. And so, you know, we, we hope to inspire people to like, think about what life represents in their career and the path that they can take and all the nuances that your career is taking with the law, with IT, with accounting. I mean, good golly. And then there's so much value provided to business, to society, mm-hmm. to mentoring the younger workforce and all yeah. that. So, Well, and yeah. that's where, you know, I wanted to say thank you for being here today and thank you and Judy to being, cause I'm, you know, 15 years into my career and being a strong woman role model mentor, you know, to people of, you know, me and people with less experience than me. It's, it's, I've seen that shift and I am grateful. So I am grateful for, to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. This has been another episode of Saltivation. I'm Meredith Smith until next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.